If there are three people you will need to build your business, I would say that a mentor, a lawyer and an accountant would be the must-haves. Our next guest is Julie Wilkinson of Wilkinson Accounting Solutions, an accountancy and consultancy firm offering virtual finance and CFO services, as well as being a 2020 Worldwide Finance Awards winner. If this is something that you'd like to know more about, then join us after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Koch, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week, we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film and a favourite single or album and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at the Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. The Cashflow Show, coming to you from the city of London, real people, real business, real talk. Hello and welcome to the Cashflow Show, Julie. Hi, thanks for having me. You are most welcome. Wilkinson Accounting Solutions, Tell me about what you guys do there. Yeah, so I'm the owner and founder of Wilkinson Accounting Solutions. We're an accounting and consultancy firm. We specialise in business acquisitions, so we help people buy businesses. We help with exit strategy planning. So our ultimate aim is to help owners transition from an owner-operated business to more of an investor mindset, so the business becomes an asset. Um, And we also offer a CFO and other account supports to help people build cash flows and pitch decks for funding, etc. So it's your business, you're the founder and at the cash flow show, that's what we specialise in. How did it all start for you? So I'm a chartered management accountant by trade and I used to work in corporate and I started the business because the last corporate job I had actually did some acquisitions and I had a bit of a project role where I went into one of the businesses and helped transition them into like the group process. And that was my first insight really into the SME world because that was a family run business. Basically, I helped that transition. It made me think, well, if this business is struggling and it's got this group supporting it, how does the average business work? So I did a survey and I asked 20 businesses between sort of 100k turnover and 20 million what their accountants did. And 100% only saw their accounts once a year. So I knew at that point that there was a big market for the need for, I suppose, more detailed future looking operational finance support rather than just processing bookkeeping and year-end accounts. Do you think that it's hard for people to build relationships with an accountant or find the right fit? Yeah, I think so. I don't um I think people like their accountants and trust them, but I think traditional accountants as they stand is still needed. But I think there's a gap between what people are aware that finance can provide versus what it does, which is a gap we try to fill. So traditional accountants, as I see them, are sort of backward looking. You know, they get their accounts at the end of the year. All the, they So they either process bookkeeping, which is receipts from spend that's already happened, or they take accounts and process a tax return from a year that's already passed. Um, I've never, I had never really met any accountants that were sort of forward-looking, helping strategize businesses' financial strategy. I don't really believe business owners know that that sort of service exists. That's why I think not a lot of people necessarily have that service. I think you're absolutely right. I think the relationship with accountants is very much 
based on the idea, very much like having your MOT. It's that once a year thing. You go in there, you leave your car or you leave your accounts or you leave receipts in a black bag or something, whichever way you choose to deliver your accounts. When you do so, you sit there and then you wait nervously for the bill to come back. And I think that's most people's relationships with their accountants or accountancy service provider. Yeah, I think so. And I think they have good relationships. And I don't think it's always about cost necessarily. But I, I just think, because you say a mentor, and it's interesting, because I do think a mentor can really help someone. But I, I don't think the sort of financial support they can be given, it sort of works alongside as a bit of a business partner. So it helps somebody sort of grow and, and strategize the business, which can also work alongside a mentor, but we give a lot of that support in terms of the organisational growth support within the financial support that we offer. I think a mentor shouldn't be doing the accountancy job. A mentor is basically somebody who is able to strategize, to guide, maybe create connections, but they shouldn't be doing the accountancy job or they shouldn't be doing the legal job. Those are three separate entities, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't cross over. However, at the same time, I don't think a mentor should do an accountancy type role. That's just no, it, it's not, it's, it shouldn't be <laughs> no. happening because I, I think the accountancy role and the legal role are sacrosanct. I think that they are roles that are there for the benefit of the business. When we spoke earlier, you mentioned that in your process, you see a business very much as a separate entity to the way that other people traditionally see businesses. Can you give our listeners, the cash flow crew, can you give them an idea of so what traditional accountancy businesses were like and what you as Wilkinson are really providing now? I think traditionally accounting firms were, especially a good few years ago, you know, they're processing piles of receipts, um, given the tax advice and processing the tax returns. And I think as we're going more virtual, so cloud accounting, QuickBooks Zero and all this type, it, it is reducing the workload of a traditional accountant, although I don't believe it it removes the need for the accountant because they still need the tax knowledge and things like that to produce the accounts. But then that's only one area of finance. You know, that's backward looking and that's for a statutory compliance purpose. What we really bring to the table is sort of more real time forward looking commercial support. So I've got seven CFOs that work in Wilkinson's and we're all operational big from big corporate backgrounds. So we've worked with all the supply chains, we've run large teams, we work on big international projects. And that structure, I think some people think as an SME business, you know, they're not a corporate firm, they get a bit scared of structure. But an infrastructure is quite important in a business model to help people, especially if you want to exit and you're going to get other people to do your job. You need to have the confidence that you've got the right controls and processes to actually allow that to happen and that's the type of work we bring alongside accounting so we can help people forecast and build cash flow long-term strategies and if they need funding and things but alongside that it's the structure of the organization and how they implement the control and the processes so that the financial information flows accurately. I'm going to pose a question and the question really is somebody comes up to you at a networking event and you've got your wine and you're trying to balance that with your canapé or your, your plate of food and you're sitting there and you're talking and they say I've got this great idea and I really think it's going to be a winner and effectively I'm a startup. What would your brief advice to them based on the fact that they're starting from ground zero? 
Yeah, and it is difficult because it comes down to financing and the funds they've got available, I suppose. But all, I mean, but I would be recommending anyone that's got a new idea, you know, there is a there is a process we recommend. So I'd be starting with a business plan and a forecast. And actually, a financial forecast and a business plan are two completely different things, but built off the same strategy because you have to do the two together because you. I find what a lot of people do is they get a bit scared of the numbers. They have the business plan. So they love the idea. They love the customers. They love the USP. But there's no actual um, tangible numbers supporting it in terms of they might know how many customers they have, but they haven't really thought about well, how whether those customers are going to pay them. Um, will they have contacts with their customers? Will they credit check those customers? And that's the financial element around the business model. So those two have to really come together. So, um, you know, a lot of people will do the the business plan but not so much the financial forecast and the cash flow probably because they don't know how to build it because it, it can they can be quite complex models so i definitely have that and some market research and risk strategies are around that model so you know we would always build a forecast from a scenario plan so you'd go okay so this is our ideal but what happens if this happens how will that impact the cash what happens if this happens? That is your risk strategy. And that has to be in numbers because you have to know, well, actually, if I don't get 50% of the customers I wanted to get in that year, what happens to my business long term? Have you ever had to explain to a client that, no, you actually need to collect that money until that money comes in? You're not doing fantastically. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, one of our taglines really is we help people grow with confidence, credibility and calculated risk because, Going back to that scenario, having debt isn't always the worst scenario if it's controlled. So when it's poor, I think is when people don't know. And I think a lot of times people are owed money and they don't even know they're owed money. And that's a bad situation to be in. However, there are times when you strategize for longer term debt if it's for a purpose for a longer term strategy you know because like in the consultancy world that i work in you know we we do have a lot of risk associated often to deals but then you can make big money when the deals go through so i think it depends why the money's outstanding and how have they looked to mitigate the risk because that's what we always look at every time you make a decision it can be a risk so if you choose to let someone have a payment plan it's a risk but you can mitigate that risk by insurances um, invoice financing by finding ways other ways to have have money that will cover that because if you've got a massive opportunity at the end of that risk you know that credit you you might want to do it even though you, you're taking a risk that the person could not pay you and that's what we see as calculated risk is there's always risk in business and sometimes you do have to take risks with customers to make to grow quicker but I think as long as it's controlled and you understand the financial impact you know if that customer doesn't pay then you know that's the sort of way we would work with people so we're quite open open we don't really have like a one stage approach we understand that um, business is flexible and and you know and so are strategies and we have to work around those to help people find the risk mitigation to not to to know that and that's where the risk planning comes in so if it doesn't happen what will happen to the business now I want to go deeper into your work at Wilkinson Accounting Solution because we've talked mainly about the accounting side, but there's probably a lot more going on here than I know. And I'd love you to share that with our audience, the Cashflow crew. Yeah, so our consultancy side is probably our acquisition and exit strategy planning. So 
we buy businesses ourselves and we were at heads of terms on a business and and we basically help on we act as acquisition cfo for people buying businesses um but we also help with the exit side and sometimes they merge together because often we're very behind in the uk really on exit strategy planning um, not many people think about it and when they come to sell the business they make around the pubs told them it's worth this and the reality is often it's not and i would say i would say 95% of businesses i see are probably at least 25% overvalued if not more and it's a big problem because the seller spent their life building this business and they don't even have the basic reports which is why getting the right accounting support you know because as minimum you're going to need management accounts and if you've only got this year-end accountant that's producing these accounts it's not enough so we sometimes mediate between buyer and seller and help seller get the right information ready so that then buyer can value ready to move to the deal because our aim is really to help deals go through at right prices but everybody gets a good deal we don't always just do full acquisitions we do a bit of it like so if people are looking for investments so either the investor's got an opportunity or someone wants investment we'll help with the pitch decks the cash flows dd around that business model to see whether is that investment solid and then if that investor invests in what do they want from that business going forward you know they all want that business to have right bookkeeping management accounts forecasts so it's what is that structure going to look like after the investment a lot of people have a misleading value of what their business is actually worth is that because the idea of buying and selling business in a serial entrepreneur style it's actually quite a new thing for people in the UK. No, I think M&A has been, I think, well, in SME world, I think it is getting more popular. Um, I, I just think it's because they have poor accounting because what happens is there's a big gap between I think what accountants offer versus what people think is happening so I speak to sellers pretty much every day and and obviously on the buy side it can be with the seller and we see I see it probably about 100 balance sheets a week people believe that when they give their accountants their trial balance they're checking that everything's okay the reality is if that accountant isn't doing the bookkeeping they don't actually check the accuracy of any of those numbers they will produce them to a company uh, you know a sole trader account or annual accounts companies have but if the base numbers are wrong then the accounts are wrong anyway but they would just take those numbers and put it into the account so i think one sometimes the valuations are inaccurate purely because the financials are wrong because if nobody's verifying years of accounts accuracy and it's bad i've seen massive swings in balance sheets things are just sitting in the wrong place in the accounts they're in the balance sheet not in the pnl so i think that's part of it it's just poor bookkeeping and then also they're not accounting for revenues and costs correctly, especially if they're like a stock model and they don't have a stock system. You know, they're just posting costs to sales whenever and there's no real trend. So they just think they make all this money. And then at the end of the year, it just comes as a shock. And then if it's never actually been reconciled fully, you could have lots of years worth of costs built up on the balance sheet that's never been released. And we find it. And then it's like, oh, sometimes it's big. I've seen way over 50% variances of inaccuracies on balance sheets before. We talked about how to look at finding an accountant from the very beginning. The question I would ask you is, why do most businesses refer to an accountant too late in their journey? Well, I 
done a few surveys of this. One, I think it's cost, probably. Especially now things are moving more automated. People do just think, oh, I can do it myself. I actually still believe the need for bookkeepers and accountants is there. I mean, we do have an accounting and bookkeeping department as well. And I think sometimes people just bury their head. They're too busy. They have this idea that they start a business and they do it often to have more freedom and be with their family. And I actually think what happens a lot of the time, or just from my experience of speaking to people, is the business becomes a lot busier than they actually thought. It's harder to run a business than people think. Their time then gets absorbed. It actually ends up just becoming this job, which they might enjoy the job more than they did being employed, but actually it's still a drain on their time. And then they don't have the time to strategize and get the right people on board. So they're either worrying too much about every penny going out the bank, but they're not thinking about the bigger picture of the long-term strategy of the business. It's funny that you should say that because we had a guest on previously, a lady called Christine Nicholson from Business Mentor UK, And she said that being addicted to your business was up there with heroin and um, a fructose corn syrup as one of the most addictive things that you could be involved in. And I think that you allude to that when you say that basically you do a business or you get involved in a business because you truly believe that it's going to give you so much freedom. But unless you have the infrastructure in place, it can turn out to be a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, and I I think probably 50% of sellers we speak to have just had enough and one out. And that is why people, sellers, get bad deals because they just, you know, it's a bit of a shame because they can spend years building something. And sometimes what happens is they get a bit fed up and they think, oh, I'll do it next year. But actually two years of non-trade will drop a business value a lot and you can lose out a lot by just not getting things sorted. So I always think it's better to be starting thinking about this earlier in your journey whilst you love your business. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it might be a lot of work, but people still love it. And whilst you love it, you're motivated and that's the time to be doing it. And don't leave it 10 years and then think, oh my God, I hate this business. And then you just want out. Because if you want out and you're not ready, you'll get a bad, you won't get what you want for it. Because it just won't be worth the same to an investor as it is to you as the person. A great example, because I think the problem with people is they do get involved in a business. And as you say, sometimes people use a business as a way of running away from things. Maybe things are not necessarily perfect in their life or ever emotionally or in terms of relationships or whatever. So you plow all this energy into the business, as you say. But then it gets to a point you think, I don't like this anymore. But as you said, it, it's like when you buy anything, you buy a car, you think, oh, this is fantastic. But then you realise that you don't want this car anymore. But it's not what you paid for it and it's not what you think it's worth. Yeah, definitely. And I think when we talk about planning... I mean, one of the things we would always say to a director is, you know, what do you want in the long run? Like, what do you want in five to 10 years time? Because ultimately, the the point of growing a business for a sort of an entrepreneur owner is they want something from their lifestyle. And, and an exit doesn't have to necessarily be a full exit. An exit to me is, well, just as a person, do I want to work in this business forever? If I don't, but I need an income, then I've got to do something about it. And that's where an exit strategy comes in. It doesn't always have to be a full sale. It can just be ultimately as the owner, you want the business to run without you and you want to step away and still get an income from that business. This is why you have to be thinking personally and in business because they do align really like personal goals and business goals. If you're sort of like the owner operator and you want to sell this in the long run, you know, they have to be looked at as looked at as a collective because ultimately what you need to look at is what spare cash have you got in that business to start investing in other routes? Because if you aren't going to do that business, what are you going to do? 
and how are you going to invest that money? Now, we 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 work a lot with financial planners and things like that. I mean, we're not FCA regulated, so we don't help with the investment strategy, but we can help find what cash flow can be available for the ability to do other things. It's very interesting that the idea of exiting your business, for SMEs, it is a new phenomena. I think whereas previously before exiting a business was really for people who had made a massive amount of money and they were like sitting on a beach somewhere drinking pina coladas. Whereas I think now the idea of you, I see people at networking events and doing public speaking saying, you know, I've sold 10, exited 10 businesses. And I'm thinking, God, I'm only on my first, on my second, you know, way behind. You know, it, it, is it become a lifestyle for them? Just buying and exiting the same way people buy property? Yeah, definitely. Buying and exiting is a massive strategy for people. And I don't think organic businesses think acquisition enough. You know, I actually started my business organically and I, I would never start a business organically again because although I've been involved with an acquisition, I hadn't really thought about that as a route. And it's only since we've launched into this area that I thought, oh, yeah, this is good. So we've been doing it obviously quite a while now. We do our own and help other people. And I, I think people with the mindset that they want to buy and sell are doing it. But I think businesses that just want to grow, I don't think they often think about it, you know, and I sometimes think they think it's cheating. Like I speak to people and they're so passionate about, oh, I've done this on my own. And I'm just like, why do you want to reinvent the wheel? Honestly, I the, I can buy a business and double my business overnight with one acquisition. Yeah, obviously you have to pay for it. And there's a break, you know, there's a, um, there's a break even point. It takes a few, you know, however long to pay it off. But then you have it. Why do you want to build something that somebody's already got? Um, and I don't think enough people understand the you know can see think about that that process as as an option for them. I think because building a business from the ground up sounds really it's like a backstory. If you, for example, you're going to turn up on something like Britain's Got Talent or for everybody else who's listening outside of the world, you've got your own. America's Got Talent, Nigeria's Got Talent, Jamaica's Got Talent. Everybody's got a talent show that's that has that same format. And if you hear the backstory that says, yeah, I've been a professional singer for 20 years. I've had four record deals and now I'm back for more. No one's really interested. What they want to hear is, oh, my dog died and my cat left and my mum thought I was rubbish, but I'm going to, I'm here to show her that I'm a fantastic singer. And everybody then buys into that mentality. And I think with businesses, the idea, and you're quite right, I, I think to be totally honest, in retrospect, I would probably like probably do that, probably think to myself, well, I'll start a business, but invest in other business and use that as a strategy. Because I think to a certain extent, it takes a long time to organically just build a business to the, to the height that you expect it to be. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this is just what we say to people. I mean, it just, at the end of the day, everybody's got a different reason they're doing something, but ultimately we all own businesses for the same reason. You know, we want a lifestyle, we want to live, we want to earn money and probably leave a bit of a legacy for our family. That's kind of like why people are doing it. But, you know, and yes, it's a nice story to think you've grown it organically, but ultimately in the end, if you buy four businesses and you're worth five million and you've got that to give to your grandchildren, do you think they'll be going, they'll be going, oh, well, you, I don't want this money because you didn't start it organically? <laughs> you know, if they won't, will they? You're, 
if you buy, because people have to realize that you don't buy businesses and it just runs. You know, you have to still be an entrepreneurial mindset and be able to run businesses to buy businesses. All you're really doing is buying an infrastructure of assets that are already there. Yes. You still have to be able to, you know, actively grow that and make it successful. So you've still achieved something at the end of it if you've done that, because you people can still make it fail. You know, and a lot of people do make it fail that don't do it properly. Um, so it's still an achievement. So I just think, you know, it's not, I, I don't think people should think, oh, because I buy a business, I'm not as successful. Because I just think, well, at the end of the day, if you've made it, you've, you've carried it on and made it successful, then to me, if anything, that could be harder than growing organically because you've had to take on somebody's else's start up to then keep growing it. I think you've made a very good point there. But I think most people who are in the SME world don't really understand the idea of, mergers and acquisitions and I guess that's where Wilkinson comes into to play here because you can say to a person who's thinking well I want to grow my business and I maybe want to grow it a little bit more quickly I hear people talking about mergers and acquisitions but I haven't got a clue it's just guys in pinstripe suits what do I do? Well, yeah, because mergers and acquisitions is a corporate term. It's, it is a scary term. And people think, oh, that's a corporate. That's not for me. But the reality is it's just a posh word for buying a, buying a business. <laughs> you know, and anybody can buy a business. Well, I say anybody. You know, it, you, you do need to have an entrepreneurial spirit. And I think one of the problems is, you know, some business owners, I suppose, theoretically, to me, some business owners are just employed people employed mindsets in their own business and I think if and there's nothing wrong with that you know because if you're a, let's just say you're a freelancer a freelancer that just goes and works for one business for six months of the year yes you've got a freedom lifestyle probably earning more than you were in a job but are you do you have an entrepreneurial mindset to then go and run a more complex business with staff you know and and maybe you don't and that's fine because not everybody wants to do that but if you do have an entrepreneurial spirit you know, and you think, oh, yeah, I've got I've got these ideas and I can grow a business. Then that's when you should do it. But people just need to realise that they're not business owners don't know every area. They know their skill, but they probably don't know finance and they don't know IT and they don't know HR. And they have to be willing and open to accept the right help with the right level of investment. You know, if you think you're just going to do this for free and it's easy, you know, it's probably not going to work. And I think that is the big shock for most people. Yeah. You mentioned briefly that you did work that was project-based and some of these projects are quite complex. Can you explain that part of your work? Our ultimate aim really is to make businesses become an asset, so build an infrastructure where they can, on a base that they can grow, because the, the problem is a business will get so far with no planning and no reporting, but it always gets to a point where in the end it stagnates. And the owner's just too busy and they can't do it. So our, our role really is to come in and help people fit, set that infrastructure to help it scale quicker on a basis that they, you know, that they can report and know they're making money. Um, so the types of things we'll do is, you know, if you've got, if people have got third party systems that are integrated into finance systems and there's reconciliation discrepancies, we'll go in and help them look at those discrepancies, put um, reconciliations in place and put some controls and processes in to make sure that financial information is reporting correctly from their third party systems. So those third party systems could be stock systems or you know warehouse systems and things like that, um, e-commerce platforms for retail. Um, we also help with um, where people have maybe grown to a level and they haven't had the right financial support. So maybe the balance sheet's a mess or 
their their bookkeeping three years behind, you know, and things like this. These sort of complex projects that you know where it is difficult work once you once you've left it to a certain point. Um, so so the key things we help people with on the projects are reconciliation between systems to make sure integrity works from third party systems to finance systems. We help with controls, overall controls and governance in a business. So we help look at who is doing what, what is the risk of fraud and error? Because that's essentially what we try to help is how do they segregate duties so that people can't do one thing and maybe make big errors or at worst fraud. And that's how the owner operator starts to step away because we put those processes in. We help with implementing an operations linked to finance infrastructure. So we help people bring finance as a culture into a business. So we would help other management teams in the business start build their own forecasts and become accountability for numbers so that it becomes a bit of a process rather than just the thing that they have to do. And in the end, the overriding aim with all these things is that the owner can step away. Everybody has a responsibility and accountability to make that business run financially. Because um, at the end of the day, let's face it, the whole reason everyone runs a business in the end is to make money. That's what all of the projects coming together end up doing is they help businesses set an infrastructure that they can grow without the owner, but also on a scale that they know that they can keep control of it. You've seen a few changes in a relatively short period of time. What are your thoughts on digitization in accounting and bookkeeping? Well, I think it's brilliant because I love systems. For me, I always think get rid of non, um, you know, sort of pushing button tasks and let's use people to actually use value adding activities. Um, but I think what people have to be mindful of, though, is who is pushing those buttons. So, you know, systems these days are very intuitive and they do replace probably where someone may have taken 10 hours to do bookkeeping before. Now they might do it in three. But does it remove the three? Does the system remove the need for anybody? And I don't think it does. And I also think people that think then they can do it themselves without using a skilled bookkeeper or accountant to do it is where they get in trouble because there are still any decision-making activity should be done by a qualified person that knows that role. So like as an example, VAT, you know, yes, it's easy. The system creates the VAT return. But what happens if you're putting the wrong information into the VAT return? So there's certain things on customer entertaining and fuel where there might be VAT restrictions that unless the user knows to tell the system to do it, they, they'll get it wrong. And that's where. So I think digitalization is brilliant. I think it removes non-value adding activities, but it doesn't remove the need for skilled people. And I think if you get that right, then... You, have the, you can start building the right processes to get the information. But I do believe that systems don't fix bad processes. So even if you had the best ERP system in the world, because I've seen people with very good ERP systems, stock systems, but nobody puts the stock on in the first place. So it's like rubbish in, rubbish out. So <laughs> processes don't fix. Systems aren't generally the problem. It is mm -hmm. processes and people that are the problem. and But they don't go away because you get a new system because the system will only be as good as the information you put into it. For accountants and bookkeepers, the problem is, is that is this lack of decent information. Um, the first guest that we ever had on the Cashflow Show, a lady called Lisa Newton, who um, runs a bookkeeping company called Boogles. And I remember her telling me, her telling me years ago that a lot of the problems weren't from somebody coming along and saying, I've got some receipts here. Can you put them into some sort of manageable form? Here's my plastic bag. Um, it was effectively people who had attempted to do the thing themselves 
got themselves into a right state. And much like many builders who have to actually go back and redo another builder's work, you as a, a, an accountant have to literally repair somebody's amateur attempt at um, a bookkeeping. Oh, yeah, I've seen that hundreds of times. But to be honest, it doesn't bother us. Like, I quite like the challenge of fixing the problems that are there. So, and if I'm honest, I think a lot of accountants don't like that sort of work. We actually get referred work from other accountants when, you know, if they've got a lot of backlog or history, some accountants just don't like to touch it because they just kind of like easy work. You know, that's, you know, that's up to date whereas that's what that's like the project work because I'm, I'm saying our project work isn't always massive work it can sometimes be smaller clients where they have just got this complexity of inaccuracy bookkeeping and they want it fixed but at the end of the day they've made a mistake they've got it wrong the only way now is to fix it so it's better that they go to an expert to fix it than try and fix it themselves <laughs> yeah because it just ends up worse than it already is yeah, yeah. the cash flow show coming to you from the city of London real people real business real talk well julie we found out quite a lot about your work at wilkinson we've also heard about your thoughts about accountancy bookkeeping mergers and acquisitions now we're going to delve a little bit deeper and find out a bit more about you as an individual so we're going to look into the section called what are you like where we basically ask you for your favorite book record film box set etc in order to get a more deeper insight into you as an individual. So we're going to start off with your favourite book, which is anything by Martina Cole. Tell me about Martina Cole, because I know a little bit about her, but not much. And people who are listening around the world, they may not necessarily know who Martina Cole is as an author. Yeah, to be honest, I have to admit, I used to read a lot, but since I'm the business, I'm not a big reader anymore. But Martina Cole is basically sort of a psychological thriller writer, um, I don't believe they're real life. I think they are fiction. They're just sort of like thriller action books, which I just love. I haven't read one for a little while, so I can't think of a name of a book to hand. She is really good. Her books are really good. I've read quite a few of them. Well, that's great. That You count as a fan then, so that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, what we'll do on the show notes is, is to put down anything from Martina Cole and everybody can make their selection because I'm sure, like Stephen King and other authors, she has a particular style. So if you like one, you probably probably like more than that yeah definitely excellent so you've gone on to business books but sort of straight away from that because I think as you said you don't since you've had the business you're not necessarily a massive reader but you're talking about books that encourage being lean in business are things that more appeal to you I've read a couple of business books in the past and one specifically I know about being lean I think because of the work we do in helping people set these businesses up I'm quite interested in those sort of lean methodologies Indeed. because um, obviously that's all about setting things up so that was uh yeah so that was all about I think it was a like a production line and how they like changed it all around to become lean and cost saved and things like that which is obviously part of what we do the idea of digitization and creating that lean business, it means that, for example, especially with some of the smaller businesses that you work for, you can give them the power of a bigger business just by being lean and digitization. Yeah, definitely. So you've got your music choice here and you've put down The Killers, yeah. which are a more recent band, and Bon Jovi. Haven't got as much hair now, but uh, it's, it's still a great group. 
Yeah, it was difficult to pick that because I love all music. I mean, like we just, I quite like drum and bass. We've just been to see Swedish House Mafia in Amsterdam. Oh, wow. Which was pretty cool. But I do actually, I have to say, I think my go-to music, I quite like bandy music, like The Killers and Bon Jovi and that type of, um, I like festival-y sort of music as well. Okay. Excellent. So uh, as an aside, I know you put down Bon Jovi and The Killers. What was the Swedish House Mafia um, a gig like? Yeah, that was pretty good. It was at the Ziggur Dome in Amsterdam. Right. I haven't been yeah, to Amsterdam cool. for a long time. So, great. Excellent. So you've also got your favourite films stroke box set and you've put two action packed um, films. So you've got Fast and the Furious. Mm-hmm. I think I is, that, is that Vin Diesel? Is Yeah, and Paul Walker and The Rocks in the more recent ones. And also you've got Rocky box set. Oh, I love Rocky. I've got the whole box set, yeah. Brilliant. Don't ask me why. I don't know why. I just do. But the thing is, he's in a new thing at the moment. Sylvester Stallone, obviously, who starred in in Rocky and did very well by it. He's called Tulsa. Something to do, yeah, the Tulsa King or something like that, which is on one of these streaming situations where I think the plot, without me revealing too much, is that he's a, a former gangster who's been sent away from the city to um uh, to open up a franchise or something in Tulsa and it's quite it, it it looks as if it's actually quite funny and but quite obviously a quite an action thriller itself i think that's on paramount plus but yeah that seems like it'd be quite interesting it's a, an extension of that character where he sort of self-references himself there's you know but at the same time obviously he's he, he's a, a a cinema icon because of rocky he's done incredibly well because yeah, well, I read, because um, I've read a bit about it, I think it was the cheap, one of the cheapest films ever made. Oh, yeah. Because it was like self, self, the first one, yeah, because I think it was like self-produced or something, and it was the cheapest film. And I know that he tried to publish it a few, well, I don't know the word, but tried to you know, like get it onto films and that a few times, and um, got turned down because he wanted to play the lead role. Yeah. And eventually he got to, yeah. It's quite interesting from a numbers perspective that a lot of those films that were done really cheaply, like Star Wars and Rocky, because people just wanted to make the film. And it's obviously not like these hundred million pound or hundred million dollar budgets that you've got for movies now. But because the fact is, is that if you get a big hit off a film that has a low investment, you know, you can set yourself up for life. Yeah, definitely. And then I just think sometimes, though, they then go a bit over the top. Like, I do love The Fast and Furious, but, I mean, some of them did get a bit silly towards the end. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the last one, but they flew into space or something. I mean, <laughs> it was a little bit ridiculous. But anyway, the first, but the principle of the, of the box sets are good. Good, good. Excellent. Brilliant. Um, uh, what can I say? I think that's, that's one that's always going to be very interesting. I think Fast and Furious was... One of those things that the franchise built and built, it sort of almost painted itself into a corner to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, it ended up moving more away from the cars, really, to the storyline. They did bring some good actors in. I, I, I do still like it. I still watch the new ones, but I think they probably have overproduced it a little bit. But it's still a good box set. So now we're going to move on to really where you're going in the future. As this is being recorded, it's coming towards the end of 2022. And I think you'd agree with me in saying that's been a year and a half, (laughs) to say the least. As an individual and as a business, where are you going in 2023? Yeah, so I've got 
a few side businesses as well. So I do a bit of property with my husband. And um, we've I've actually just launched a side business to Wilkinson Accounting. So we're setting, we're, we'll be doing um, recruiting finance, uh, finance recruitment in 2023. Um, because what we help people do a lot, especially in the acquisition space when they're building a group, is they often eventually need some in-house finance team which we help train the mentor, but they can't find the talent. So we're, we're starting to help uh, recruitment. So we're launching a new fir- uh, new business next year, which is good. And in Wilkinson's, we're trying to do one acquisition a year just to sort of grow the group. So that's kind of what I'm doing in business. And personally, well, I'm going to Jamaica in January. Ooh. <laughs> <That'd be nice. laughs> but is this going to be your first time in Jamaica? Yeah, my first time in Jamaica. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> On behalf of the Jamaican diaspora, um, of which I am one i do hope you enjoy you will have a fantastic time and you will enjoy it immensely yeah and just enjoy time off i mean my husband works shifts so we try to utilize he gets like four days off every sort of 11 days so we try and make use of those because we've got a camper van and boats and jet skis so we do a lot of um like traveling in the uk as well so um yeah we just try and make use of that time really and enjoy it because it is busy building all what i'm building but um i do get quite a bit of free time as well because Obviously, I try to do as little as possible, really. (laughs) Well, that's the way to do it. I mean, the whole point of building a business, and I learned from this, is that you don't build a business to flog yourself out, which is what most entrepreneurs end up doing. We build a business and we end up flogging ourselves out until we realise, you know something, this doesn't make any sense. You need to be able to step away from things. You need to be able to do things differently. Give yourself space. Give yourself your mind a space to breathe. And I think that's that's really, really important. Because now that we've heard all about the things that you're planning for 2023, how can people get in touch with you? My website, which is www.wilkinsonaccountingsolutions.co.uk. And there's our socials on there and then like calendarly invites. Um, but also people can just email to uh, julie.wilkinson at wilkinsonaccountingsolutions.co.uk. Before you go, I'm going to ask you at least one difficult question. <laughs> What's your favourite bit of accounting stroke bookkeeping software? Uh... Well, I like the fact that the bank feeds link. That's pretty cool. Oh, I actually love a reconciliation. <laughs> I think I think running a balance sheet reconciliation is actually pretty good. I mean, I don't do a lot of that anymore. The team do it, but um, I do quite like a reconciliation because I obviously I start I didn't go to university. I started life in purchase ledger like over twenty years ago and just worked my way up. Uh-huh. Studied through an apprenticeship. So um, yeah, I've worked in every role in finance that you can work in. well the thing is is that i always like to know what people what insiders know about the role or the or the job that they're doing because it's like for example when people go to a restaurant what's the italian restaurant that italian people eat at or you know and so everybody wants to know what bookkeepers use or what accountants use or so they can get an idea of it oh that's what it is i'm on the right track or i'm not on the right track but do you think that nowadays like the accounting software that you've got zoho you've got zero you've got sage you've got oh it's it you know it's it's everywhere yeah, no, they are really good. Definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, tax digital's coming in 24, so everyone's got to get on systems at some point. Um, and systems are really good. But I mean, I just think I always just say to people, it's only good, though, if you're using it effectively. So once you get the right bookkeeping process and also how you're processing sales and receipts, because the information that you can be missing from not processing things correctly, um, you know, if you get it right, 
it is really good. The information you can get and decisions you'll make will be second to none. But if you get it wrong, it actually can be more harmful because it can give you the wrong information. With Wilkinson Accounting Solutions, I'm sure that people will find themselves in the right situation, getting the right information. So, Julie, thank you ever so much. We much appreciate you joining us because I know you're incredibly busy and you've got a lot going on. But we really appreciate that. And thank you for joining us on the Cashflow Show. So, Julie Wilkinson of Wilkinson Accounting Solutions, it's been a pleasure having you on the Cashflow Show. And we hope you enjoy your trip to Jamaica and um, have a fantastic 2023. Thank you. And thanks for having me. You're most welcome. Take care. We've come to the end of the Cashflow Show for today. But I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for real people, real business, real talk.